The following is a paid presentation of the King Law Firm, LLC. You're listening to Today's Law with practicing attorney Patrick King. Patrick will discuss legal points of view, history, government and politics, and current events. Whatever your pleasure, join Patrick King for an insightful and entertaining half hour. Here's the host of today's law, Patrick King. Good evening. This is Patrick King, the host of today's law on WBGZ. Tonight is our third program with three more planned. We do this for you. The law can be complicated, so we want to use this time and this opportunity to answer common questions and break things down. I hope that you had a blessed and enjoyable 4th of July Independence Day. How fitting that this evening we will discuss the supreme law of the land, the foundation of American democracy and government, the controlling legal document, the document that not many understand at times and sometimes are confused by. The United States Constitution. Here's a little background. On July 4, 1776, the colonists sought independence from the royal crown of Great Britain. The colonists desired to start a new government, separate and apart from Great Britain, that would reflect certain values, principles, and way of life. The founding fathers, although not perfect individuals, started in motion the greatest form of government. After the Revolutionary War, the United States had been subjected to the Articles of Confederation. The Articles of Confederation create a system of government with a weak central or federal government, but the states retain most of the function and power. The Articles of Confederation left the federal government with minimal authority, relevance, and ability to govern. In 1787, the Founding Fathers met for a hot summer in Philadelphia for the Constitutional Convention. With George Washington presiding, the Founding Fathers sought to replace the new American government as set forth by the Articles of Confederation. During the hot summer, the diplomats of the several states discussed, debated, argued, and presented several ideas and formulas for their new government. This process was anything but smooth, contrived, or simple. Finally, the several states ratified the Constitution in 1788, President George Washington becomes our first president in April 1789. When we return, we will discuss the United States Constitution. Be sure to send your questions or comments to todayslawradio at gmail.com and continue the conversation on the King Law Firm Facebook page. Well, Patrick, um, there are any number of questions, and we have we have armed ourselves with a few of them for this program. But uh, one of the things that I I want to get started with is uh, what in the heck is so important about the Constitution? I mean, it just seems like this this mysterious thing that yet it. The entire federal government 
and all of the state platforms revolve around this document. How can it do that? How does that happen? Well, let's get started here. Um, From a legal perspective, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. It is the foundation. It is the framework. Um, The Constitution, um, from its inception, was designed to, to be the supreme law of the land. And essentially what that means is that any laws that are passed by Congress or state legislators or even local government have to fall within the purview of the Constitution. That is, the Constitution, being the supreme law of the land, provides the initial framework and direction for everything we do, beginning from 1787 all the way through the present date. And much of the news that you that you see out there is revolving around, you know, is something constitutional or unconstitutional. So it is essentially the supreme law of the land being that everyone must follow it. Not only the President of the United States, which at times is debated and goes all the way up to the Supreme Court, but all the way down to the small business owner. That entrepreneur that you guys were talking about last half hour has to follow the Constitution, or the Constitution has to apply to that person. The Constitution is essentially the framework of our government. Give us an example of what you mean by following the framework. Uh, is you know with with the way laws are made and all of that. I, I guess I'm just I don't understand the mechanics. Absolutely. Well, let's start with the three branches of government. First, you have the executive branch where the president is. That is the president of the United States is the head executive. The next branch is the legislative branch, although the legislative branch initially was designed to be the most powerful, but in today we know it's the president, the executive branch. The legislative branch is made up of two houses, the upper and lower. Well, the upper is the United States Senate, 100 senators. Then we have the House of Representatives of 435 House of Representative members. The third branch, what we talked about last week briefly, was the Supreme Court of the United States where there are nine justices who are appointed for a lifetime, sit on the federal bench, and they are the final deciders of what is constitutional, unconstitutional. So the Constitution was designed by our framers to have three branches of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. But there's another form of government, and oftentimes people hear this, uh, you hear about the Federalist Papers or Federalism. Well, what is federalism? Federalism is where you have the United States government and state governments. And we know we have 50 states. At the time of the Constitution, we had 13, and we've since have added subsequently. And with the two forms of government, we call it federalism. And the whole point of it is that there is a federal government. And in my initial talking points, I pointed out that the federal government was very weak under the first Constitution called the Articles of Confederation. Over time, after the passage of the United States Constitution, the federal government has since gained much more power. Uh, it really kind of begins after during World War I with Woodrow Wilson. You go into the Great Depression under FDR, and the federal government balloons. It, get, it grows, and it grows, and grows. And then through all the way through the present day, the federal government obviously has amassed more and more power. The states and the federal government are constantly at odds with each other. That's the whole design, that you have state governments, 
like Illinois, Missouri, Arkansas, etc. And then you have the federal government. And so that's federalism, where we have three branches of government, each with its own powers, the separation of powers, and then we have two competing governments. And the whole point of all that was is to keep everybody honest. As I said in the initial talking points, the Constitution uh, and the Declaration of Independence, uh, the whole purpose was to get away from Great Britain, get away from the imperial power, the king and the queen. And so the whole point is that we have a system of government that is supposed to be designed for the people and by the people. And so that, that's really where the government breaks down into three branches. And then you also have two forms of government being the federal or the central government and the state governments. Is that where politics started? I'm what, curious about the whole political element related to, to uh, the Constitution and I would say politics started as even before Abraham in the Old Testament. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, politics was played at the time of Jesus. And in the, in the Gospels, you hear about uh, politics and Pontius Pilate. But, you know, when we look at the uh, – I'm going to read a little bit of the Declaration of Independence about politics. And I think politics played a role from the very beginning of our government. And the first line of the Declaration of Independence, I'm going to read the first paragraph. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation." So the Founding Fathers were very political. This country was, followed, was founded on um, is a democratic republic or a representative democracy. By the very nature of our government, it was that we have elected our leaders through a political process to represent our interest, to represent us as the people. So as citizens here in uh, Alton, we represent, uh, or we, I, say, I should say that we elect our leaders. We have the opportunity to vote uh, for the president through an electoral college, which I can get into another time. We elect our senators and our congresspeople. But locally, we also, we also elect our, our state senators uh, and our state representatives and our mayor. And so through that process, it's political by nature that we don't have a direct democracy in a sense where Ron and Jordan and I make all the decisions, but rather we elect people who are supposed to reflect our values and our interest and our well-being to make decisions uh, through a legislative or judicial process. So politics has always been there. Uh, today, I think we're at a at a place in America where there's a lot of political discourse. Uh, there's a lot of toxic words being exchanged, and I and and on one part of me, the human part of me says, I I hope we can get together and fix our budget. I hope we can get together and and understand immigration and come to a reasonable solution on immigration. I hope that we can. Uh, figure out a solution in North Korea, uh, sending out uh, nuclear bombs. That's one part of me. The other side, maybe the lawyer side, says debate is good. Political debate is good. The the ability to argue one side and the ability to respond or reply on the other side. And this, when you got two sides that are just uh, at a standstill, is not always bad. And that was part of what the framers understood. You had 
Thomas Jefferson, who wanted a small government. You had Alexander Hamilton, who wanted a very strong central government, and they had much uh, political debate. And so sometimes it resulted in a duel. Hopefully we don't have to have that happen in this country anymore. But the point being that one part of me says, well, we do need to get along and we do need to kind of find these common ground, these solutions. But the other part says political debate is good. And some of the dysfunction of the government is not all bad because it allows for there to be a continuous debate. And sometimes through a continuous debate, new solutions are offered. I, I have another question, but uh, Jordan, I'm, I, I don't mean to control the, the floor here. No, go for it. All right. Um, I, I have been really perplexed by the fact that we can't seem to just have agree to disagree or we have to lambast somebody uh, in order to prove the point. And I'm not so sure, you know, you go to court, I mean, there are people accusing people of all sorts of things uh, when, you, when you have a case and you take it in front of a judge and a, and a jury, somebody's broken the rules or they've uh, uh, defamed somebody or what, whatever the, the charge might be. And I guess I'm just kind of concerned about the fact that we can't civilly discuss differences. Well, Ron, I, I will touch on it, and then you're leading into my segue maybe <laughs> next time we talk, next time we're here at the Big Z in two weeks for the next show. My goal, no the promises. 19th, that's when that is. July 19th, no promises, but I'm working on having a guest uh, and possibly three guests. One would be another lawyer and two judges to talk about the judicial process and what is the court system and why do we have the court system and where should we take our disputes last week we talked with mike diaz about neighbor disputes and how to try to avoid those things and all those things but yeah there's a lot of political debate but again let's take a look at the constitution and, and really what do we have here well the the constitution has um was passed and then immediately there's 10 amendments passed we have a total of 27 amendments uh, what it takes is uh, a two-thirds uh, proposal by either the uh, House of Representatives and the Senate or two-thirds of the states, and then it must be ratified. So in order for there to be a constitutional amendment, which we've only done 27 times in our nation's history, it, it takes a, it's a, it's a massive undertaking to actually change our Constitution. It's not something that's going to happen um, very often or very quickly. So, again, it's going to take uh, two-thirds of both houses or a constitutional convention by two-thirds of the several states. And then it's got to be ratified by three-fourths of the several states, either by way of uh, the legislators or a constitutional convention. So 27 amendments in our nation's history. That just shows you that the Constitution uh, and the drafters of our Constitution not only was a unique document, but it was designed to... uh, withstand the test of time. And it is designed to withstand all the political debate. Right now, the pendulum swings left, and then it goes right, and then it goes in the middle. Well, let's take a look at some of uh, the Bill of Rights. And and I'll get into free speech and and the whole point of all this. So our first Ten Amendments was really designed for personal individual liberty. 
And so what we have here is we have a constitution that gives power to the federal government. And the Bill of Rights passed uh, at, at the direction of James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, really, or, or some people who would want the Bill of Rights, was for the protection of personal individual liberty. That is, people like Ron and I can have a, a conversation and totally disagree. And we have the ability through our First Amendment. Let's take a look, take a look. The First Amendment is free speech. And what is more relevant today, as Ron was mentioning, than free speech? Free speech allows for Ron to have his business show and, and his wonderful team of confluence here and talk for a half hour. The free speech allows for the big Z to be here and to uh, not be controlled by government airwaves, such as North Korea. We couldn't be having this conversation in North Korea because we'd be taken and imprisoned. So free speech allows for us to talk freely in our churches, in our schools, allows for businesses and entrepreneurs to promote their product. Free speech allows uh, for me to sit here tonight and to talk with the audience. Hopefully the audience gives us some feedback. And by the way, Jordan, how can they do that real quick? Oh, yeah. Uh, be sure to become part of the conversation by uh, emailing us at todayslawradio at gmail.com and, uh, and share your comments and questions over on the King's Law Firm Facebook page. Thank you, Jordan. Again, this is Pat King, and I'm here uh, on Today's Law. We're talking about the Constitution, primarily about the uh, Ten Amendments and the Bill of Rights. And I was talking about the First Amendment of free speech. And that's what allows for us to, to have this political discourse, to allow us to have a conversation, to allow for us to, uh, quite frankly, watch TV, read the newspapers, post on Facebook, have a Facebook profile, um, give opinions, whether it's political, religious, etc., what if I give an opinion uh, about you and it's not so favorable, and maybe it's not so truthful? Well, if there's any time, if there's any time that there is a statement that's a matter of opinion, is probably going to be protected. Um, but if you would say something that is just factually incorrect, and I would lose my job over it, for say, I probably have a a cause of action uh, where I could take it to court for defamation, slander, libel. So there are, there are there are abilities to protect oneself, even though we do have these freedoms. The other thing, the First Amendment is the. Um, and I want to touch on this briefly, is the uh, freedom of religion. Whether you're a Catholic or Protestant, Jewish, Christian, Hindu, atheist, agnostic, um, Islam, uh, whether you are um, somebody who just does, doesn't understand or doesn't even know, freedom of religion allows for all of us to have our particular views of religion, and, and that's really, really important. The other thing is uh, the government can neither establish nor create a religion. So uh, when this country started, it was a predominantly Protestant Christian nation. But the Founding Fathers understood that there should not be a state-created religion. So that's also very, very important is our freedom of religion, but the government can neither create nor establish a religion. Also the right of people to um, assemble peacefully. That's that we've been seeing that all over the country now for a few years now, and so as long as people assemble peacefully, that's within their right. The Second Amendment, we have the right to bear arms, and again, there's a debate about that in this country. But by and large, the federal courts and the um, most of the high courts support uh, conceal and carry, as well as for uh, people who are non felons to own and possess a firearm. 
Uh, so if you have, in the state of Illinois, for example, I have a FOID card, I have a gun, and I'm a, I'm a lawful gun owner, and, and that's permissible under our Second Amendment to the Constitution. Article 3, I smile, because no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house. Uh, that was really designed because the colonists were angered by the fact that they were having to house British soldiers. Um, Fourth Amendment is the uh, our protection, and this is where it comes into criminal law, that we should be uh, protected from unreasonable search and seizures. So the, the example I'd give is if, if uh, police are called to my house and uh, it's, say, it's not a, uh, a felon, you know, it's a situation, maybe it's a noise disturbance or something of that nature, they have to have a warrant to come in my house. I can always grant consent for them to come in. There are times if I was to commit a felony and run inside my house that there may be an exception for them to go ahead and enter my home. But the general rule is that I should be – my house is my castle, so to speak, and I should be free from any searches and seizures absent a search warrant. Um, And so the Fourth Amendment really is your search and seizures, and that that comes into play in a lot of uh, criminal law and a lot of situations. Does that particular – uh, amendment have a bearing on the information of privacy and the information that we might store on our devices and uh, that sort of thing? Absolutely. So w- what we know is that in order for there to be, uh, let's start off with a traffic stop, for example, and somebody suspected of uh, drunk driving. Uh, an officer has the ability, based on reasonable, articulate suspicion, which is a very low standard, to pull somebody over. It could be a minor traffic infraction. From there, an officer has the ability to seek identification and, and make a routine traffic stop. If there is probable cause for an arrest, then the officers have the ability to go ahead and search the person. Uh Perhaps they have probable cause to search the vehicle and maybe get inside the trunk. Now you get to the... You get to the uh, cell phone, and there's a there's a debate. Can the officers, absent a search warrant, access the phone? And the courts are going to be taking that up very soon, and they have taken that up. Um, I don't have the black-letter law, so to speak, on that point, but I would be somebody who would personally argue that in order to access my computer or my cell phone, you need a search warrant. That That's where I think the safe place is. Uh, your Fifth Amendment um, is where you have the right to remain silent. Um, that you um, you know you, you can't be compelled to be a witness against oneself. So that Miranda right, you have the right to remain silent. There's your Fifth Amendment. Your Sixth Amendment is a right to a speedy and public trial. So somebody that is uh, being accused of a crime has that right under the Sixth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution to be tried by one's peers. And what's so important about that is you don't have a, a king or a queen or a rich baron deciding your fate, but rather you have 12 people who are your peers who make that type of assessment. Uh, The right to confront witnesses, the right to a lawyer, all those things are in your Sixth Amendment. Uh, Your Seventh Amendment is dear to my heart because it's the right to a civil jury trial, and very few countries do you have the right to a civil jury trial, that is breach of contract, personal injury case, where you have 12 people and for a little while, Illinois allowed six, but that was struck down. We're back to 12 jurors. Decide whether or not somebody should be liable in tort or contract, and that's very, very important. 
Amendment 8 is excessive bail should not be required. Last week I talked about the Bail Reform Act, that the purpose of bail really is simply to allow one to post bail bond cash and get out with the promise they're going to show up at a hearing or trial. Article or, uh, Amendment number 9 um, we will go ahead and I will read it briefly. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And the Tenth Amendment is anything that's not um, given to the U.S. Uh, shall be reserved to the people and the state, respectively. So those are your Bill of Rights. Um, I wanted to give a couple, a little bit of examples here about what does this all mean to us? Well, I told my two secretaries I'd be naming them tonight to see if they listen to me or not. (laughs) So, Tanya, we love you if you're listening. Um, She went to Florida for vacation. That's freedom. That's the Constitution, the right to travel, the the ability to take off work and and go enjoy this beautiful land. Mother Secretary Sandy, we love you. I don't know if you're listening, but Jack may be, uh, her significant other. And she, every weekend, drives around in a dune buggy. And not every weekend she wants to. And the ability to to make that fun purchase uh, that you work so hard for in this country and be able to travel and be able to have fun and go to different establishments, that's the Constitution. Um, It could be more serious, though. Uh, it could be it could be that um, I want to go to church every Sunday, and again, that ability for me to go to church every Sunday is is a right that's been granted. Some would argue, many would argue, by God through the Constitution. Others would have to acknowledge that it is granted in the Constitution with your First Amendment that you have the right to participate in a faith based program. Um, the right to remain silent. The, the ability to, to get a job and to start a company. And that's what Ron and Jordan, everybody talked about last um, half hour, is that democracy, capitalism, election, freedom, all this allows for us to be here and, and talk tonight and to turn around tomorrow morning and go to our jobs and take care of our families and, and go out with our friends and see movies and go to Cardinal games and enjoy the great liberties of this country, but also in a more serious way to speak to, to speak our minds and be able to participate in this democratic republic, to elect our leaders, all that through the Constitution. Jordan, how am I doing on time? Yeah, about one minute left. All right. Well, in, in summary, the United States Constitution is something that I would encourage everybody to, to know, to learn, to use. It's not an outdated document. Yes, it was drafted in 1787, but it has so much application in today's world. And, and if for some reason you say, well, why can the government do this? Or why can people be able to do this? Your constitutional law will, in the decisions from the Supreme Court, is what outlines your liberties and your freedoms and things that are prohibited. So we hope tonight that you had a little bit of uh, fun listening to us. Uh, we're back in two weeks. And we're going to have a new discussion. Again, this is Patrick King. You can find me at uh, patrickkinglaw.com or kinglawfromllc.com. My office is located at 205 West Main Street, East Alton, Illinois, 62024. My phone number is 462-8405. All right, that's all the time we have for the show. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in Wednesday, July 19th at 6.30 p.m. for the next episode of Today's Law with Patrick King. Be sure to send your questions or comments to todayslawradio at gmail.com and continue the conversation on the King Law Firm Facebook page. 
Today's Law with Patrick King is a production of Confluence Business Advisors and distributed by Confluence Media Network. This program is produced live at the studios of WBGC Radio in Alton, Illinois. You can watch or listen to Today's Law at kinglawfirmllc.com and confluenceba.com.